Welcome to Twice Born Podcasts. My name is Mike Bailey. Thank you so much for listening. We'd love to get your feedback, and if you have any questions, please go to twiceborn.net. You can also find us on social media. I hope that you find this podcast helpful and informative. God bless. All right, how many of you feel like, man, my mind is full of stuff and it's not renewed, it needs to get out of there. So that's our goal. We wanna, you know, the truth of the, of the situation for all of us in this room, we live in a world that is corrupt, is broken, is messy. And that mess even saturates into our hearts, into our lives. And if we're unaware of it, it will continue to erode at our joy. It'll erode at our peace. It'll erode at our hope. And so it's so important that we renew our minds in Christ daily, that we realign our hearts and our thinking with him every single day, uh, because it's so easy, it can happen so quickly for us to get off that path. And so we want to renew our minds, we want to focus in on the Lord, and we want to give him all of the glory. Uh, Last week we talked about the rebellious heart and those that would rebel against God and say, I don't have anything to do with you, God, I'm not interested in the things of God, I'm not interested in God's word or prayer. And that is a good portion of our world. There's a great number of people that say, I do not want to have anything to do with the God of the Bible or the Jesus um, that people claim to be their savior. And so we recognize that and we want to renew our mind and we want to have a love and a compassion and a desire to share the good news of Jesus Christ with even someone who doesn't want it. I mean, we want to lovingly, caringly tell them the good news and, and try to point them in the right direction. I think the challenge for myself And the challenge for us as we gather is, what does it really mean to be a follower of Christ every single day of my life? And it becomes difficult because I can have times where my heart feels rebellious, or I can have times where my heart can be filled with pride. And today we're going to look at the the other side, almost the antithesis, or the flip side of rebellion, which is self-righteousness. Self-righteousness, and we would call that hypocrisy. And so this morning, as we dive into God's word, my encouragement for you, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, this is your opportunity um, to listen to the Lord and become more of what he wants you to be. If you're not a believer in Christ, I'm glad you're here. This is a great opportunity for you to learn what it means to be a believer in Christ. What does the Bible teach us? What does Jesus say? How do we follow him and be his disciples? And so as we look at that, we're going to see all of those angles, and we're building all of this on Romans chapter 12, verse 2. And it says this, do not conform to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is good, pleasing, and the perfect will of God. And so my desire as a follower of Christ is to know what God's will is, to follow it, and to live it out. And uh, today we're going to look at a, a subject that I think as churches we struggle with, especially in the United States. We struggle with this. This is what we're known for in a negative way. And it's hypocrisy. How many of you have heard people say the church is full of hypocrites? Right? It's just a bunch of hypocrites. They think they're better than everybody. They go, you know, put themselves on a pedestal, but they're just as bad as everybody else. Right? I had a pastor who once said, uh, someone told him, I'm not going to go to church because it's full of hypocrites. And he said, well, you can go to church with some hypocrites or you can go to hell with all of them. That's a little rough. I get it, yeah. Um, but the truth of the matter is there is an issue. This is, a, this is a challenge for all of us, isn't it? Hypocrisy. Even if you're not a believer, hypocrisy is something that's part of your life. Say one thing and doing another. 
And so if you look at the word hypocrisy, it's actually the base root word comes from a Greek word, and it's a uh, theatrical word. It's a word they used in the theater in the Greek time, and it was to play a part, to play a character, to put a mask on. Now, not a mask for your, just for COVID, but an f- actual mask that changed your appearance. So you were playing the character of someone other than yourself. And so for me, one of the interesting things is in church life, you get to do dramas and plays. How many of you have ever been in a drama or play at church? Okay. So I've had some really interesting opportunities. Um, For some reason, they decided I would be the evil dictator in one of the plays. And I was to be uh, arresting these Christians and holding them captive. And I had to be really over the top, you know, mean. And uh, it was really hard for me to do that. (laughs) Uh, And then there was another instance on a Christmas, uh, the church I was at, we had a giant living Christmas tree, and it would light up, and it would go along with the music, and the lights would shine with the the songs, and uh, the gentleman that led it, I love him, awesome guy, uh, but he had an interesting idea, he said, Mike, I want you to pretend to be the monk that wrote the, the song Silent Night, and so at the end of the show, I want you to wear a monk outfit, I want you to bring a guitar out onto stage, and we would have hundreds of people that would come to these performances, I want you to sit and pretend to play Silent Night on a guitar. So not not only am I not a monk, and I was playing a monk, but I was playing a guitar in front of a lot of people, and I I do not play the guitar. And so people would say, Mike, I didn't know you could play the guitar. And I'd say, I don't know how to play the guitar. But you know what I learned playing in both of these characters is when you're playing a character, you're thinking more about who the character is than you're thinking about who you are. And the thing about hypocrisy is that you can look and see everybody. You kind of put this fake veneer on. It's like your, your social media. This is what I, I want everyone to think about me, right? This is what I want them to think I look like all the time. I act like all the time. I want them to think this about me, this character that I put up. But when you wear the character, you're more engaged with the audience and judging the audience than you're judging your own heart and your own self. And so it can become very easy to put a character on that you become comfortable with, that you think is good, and you're looking out and to seeing whether everyone else is the way they should be. And the problem, the big issue with hypocrisy is it's never dealing with the self, it's always dealing with everyone else. And this morning, we have to confront that in ourselves because it's a blind spot in our lives. And if you look at the New Testament... Jesus never comes up to the prostitute or the tax collector or the person caught in sin and and just just chastises them, right? He never gets in their face and says, how dare you do these things? Why would you even think this was okay? This is a horrible idea. He always has patience and grace for people that are in rebellion. What he does not have grace and patience for all the time were those who claimed to be his but were hypocrites. Those who misused their power and authority in the religious order of the time to, to really burden and bring pain and suffering to the people that were below them. And so this morning, this is a topic that has, throughout all of history, really impacted the church, so much so that a lot of the world sees the church this way. And so it's something we have to recognize, and it's something we have to go to the Lord and say, how then can we live? How then, how, how can we move forward and take some of these masks. These are actually masks that they would wear in the Greek theater. Really nice, huh? How'd you like to go to that play? It looks like a happy kid's play. But you know, the, tr- the truth of the matter is, sometimes when you wear the mask long enough, you don't know you even have the mask on anymore. And so this morning, I want to look at Mike. I want to look in the mirror, the perfect law of love, and say, Mike, 
I want us all to look in that mirror and see who we really are and say, God, if there's anything, if, I'm, if there's anything about me that is hypocritical or is not genuinely yours, submitted to you, please show it to me. Because I, I don't want to focus on the mask anymore. I want to focus on my heart. I want to focus on, focus on my soul. And so this morning, as all of this brings us to the, the issue of judgment, right? Um, it's appointed once for us to be judged. It's a point where we're going to stand before the Lord and we will be in front of him with every part of our life. And knowing and living for Christ is to deal with this issue of hypocrisy. To love and make him the Lord of your life, to confess your sin. Some of our sin is hypocrisy. To confess that sin and believe in Christ as our Lord and Savior, that he has covered that sin, is to deal with that sin, to reject it, and to move forward without it hindering us anymore. And so we're going to look at that this morning. We're going to ask the Lord to speak directly through his word to us so that we can mature and we can become what he wants every one of us to be. So let's precede his word in prayer and ask him to speak to us. Heavenly Father, thank you for um, Paul. Thank you that you created him and you had a plan for his life. And that plan was uh, to be your representative here on earth. Thank you that he was committed and uh, he did not give up even when things got very difficult. And that, Lord, through your Holy Spirit, you recorded these letters that were then turned into books that were then translated through thousands of years to us at this moment to study that we may know who you are. We may know who we are, and we may know what we're to do. And so, Lord, I pray as we look at your words that it would truly penetrate, it would truly impact, it would truly inspire and convict so that we would look and sound and be like you and that others would not see hypocrites, but they would see children of a father who loves the world that he gave his son, that whom would believe, whoever would believe and confess would have eternal life. Lord, help us to do that well today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we begin, we're going to be looking at, at Romans chapter 2. And just for some context, I believe when you read God's word, you want to have the context. Who was the author? Who was the author writing to? What was the situation of that time? How would the people have received this? And then how do we connect to that? How does that impact us? How does it apply to us? Well, we first need to understand, and we've talked about this a little bit before, that the author here is Paul. And if you go back and look at Paul's life, you see that Paul started out as Saul. Um, he took his Hebrew name because King Saul was the first king of, of Israel, and it was a powerful, strong name. It was a name that had uh, something behind it. It was intimidating. It was, it was something to latch onto and say, that's what I want to be like. And, and in many ways, as we see his pre-Christian, his before-Christ life, he was in rebellion, uh, even though he thought he was completely committed to God. And he was living out that Saul, self-centered, I'm, I'm going to build myself up. He was at a place where he had authority. Uh, he was given jurisdiction over much of Jerusalem, much of Israel, to capture and imprison those who believe Jesus is the Messiah. His, his efforts as Saul was to get rid of the church, to get rid of Christianity, and to wipe it off the face of the earth. And so much of his early life, he was attacking the church until he has the life transformational experience with Christ on the road to Damascus. And his, remember, his eyes are open, the, the uh, scales fall off, and now he takes the name of Paul. And the word Paul means little. 
and he takes a position of humility. And just like all of us, the biggest challenges in our lives, the biggest challenge in your life can be your greatest curse or it can be your greatest benefit because you can use it and you can and live it out and know that this was who I was and I see what it is to be that and I see it is how to live that life. And so when I meet someone who's walking on their path and they're in a path where it's all about me, it's all about my achievement, it's all about how I'm going to be successful, I'm driven, I'm all about the self-centered person of myself, if you've experienced that, if you've gone through that, if that's part of your story, you have a, a better understanding. And God uses that in a powerful way. And so as we read this morning the, this, this letter to the church in Romans, we have to understand that Paul had such an understanding of what it was to be a hypocrite. He had, had such an understanding of what it meant um, to be self-centered or to be judgmental or to look at the world and say, oh, I'm perfect and you're horrible. Right? He understood that because that's who he was. That was a big part of his identity was I have it all figured out. I'm perfect. You're not. And I'm going to make sure that you recognize that I'm superior to you. And he recognizes this to the point that he wants the church to understand. Yes, there are people in rebellion. There are people that are rejecting God and God's way. And God is not happy with that. But there are also those of you who know the truth, but you have distorted it for your own benefit. And you're using it as a weapon that is more about you than it is about the Lord. And so that's why he writes Romans chapter 2. He goes into Romans chapter 2, verse 1. It says, you therefore have no excuse. You who pass judgment on someone else, for at what point you judge another, you are condemning yourself. Because you who pass judgment do the same thing. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such a thing is based on truth. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? And so here's the challenge. Paul's writing to the Romans and he's saying, look, you've heard the truth. You're not living uh, in the outward like the rest of those, but your heart, your heart is full of wickedness. You're okay with gossiping. You're okay with slander. You're okay with backbiting. You get angry really easy. You're okay with letting all of these things that, that were told through the scripture. If I look at someone with hatred in my heart, it is as if I have murdered them. If I look upon a woman with lust or if you look upon a person with lust, it's as though you've committed adultery with them. That these things are stirring in your heart and you're allowing them to fester and grow and, and become something much bigger than they ever should be. Um, you're allowing that in your heart, but because no one can see your mind and what you're thinking, no one can see your heart and what's in it, um, you hide it well with this massive hypocrisy. On the outside, you're like a tomb. You look nice, but on the inside, it's full of dead bones. Because for all of us, there's the temptation, the temptation to deal with everybody else, deal with the world, but not deal with me. I'm good at seeing why it's so bad in this United States and so bad in this town and so bad in my neighborhood and so bad in my family. It's so easy for me to see the problems of the world around me. It can become very difficult to look inward, look into my own heart, look into my own thoughts, look into what am I allowing to grow and fester and become with inside of me. And here Paul says, look, do you think God is missing any of this? 
Do you think God is ignorant of the fact of your thoughts? Do you think God is ignorant of the fact of your heart? Do you think he doesn't know? And do you think that he is okay with you passing judgment on others when you haven't dealt with the things in your own life? Right? This is challenging. This is difficult. This is where the healing and repentance and confession in the church needs to begin. We need to look at the mirror and look at ourselves and look deep within and say, Father, um, <laughs> I don't want to be judging others when I have all this sin in my heart that hasn't been dealt with. Help me to look, look inward and to be honest with myself because hypocrisy, sometimes we don't see this, hypocrisy is one of the highest forms of sin there is. As we judge the world for its evils and we say this sin is evil and that sin is evil and this sin is evil and this culture is evil, well, hypocrisy may be just as bad or worse than any of those things that we've called out within our own culture. And yet we struggle with hypocrisy. Do you see we're all on an equal playing field? In the eyes of the Lord, it's not the man who comes in, and even Jesus talks about this. He says, you see this man who comes in, and he says, I'm glad I'm not like these rest, the rest of these people. I tithe, I fast, I know, I know God's word, I know the Torah. I'm so glad I'm me and I'm not them. And he walks away. Tax collector comes in, he says, Father, forgive me. I am, I am a wretched sinner. I am broken. I am, I am, I, the mess is in me. Please heal me, restore me, bring something of peace to me. And Jesus says, you know who walks away uh, right with God? The one who is broken, not the one who thinks that they are above everyone else. And what we must be so careful about as believers, if you're a believer in Christ, that you never elevate yourself above the rest of the world and say, look at how bad they are and how good I am. If the world could hear that we are here to bring the best news possible to them, and it is not because of our goodness, but because of our Father's goodness that he loved us enough to come and die for us. They're not hearing that message because there's this wall of hypocrisy up that we need to knock down. I am the, I am the chief of sinners, Paul says, right? I am not to be looked at and thought of as Christ. Christ is the only one. He is the perfection. I am not. My perfection is found in him, not in myself. It is by receiving that. But we need to understand that this is a high-level issue that we can't overlook, that we cannot say doesn't matter. Verse 4 goes on to say, Or do you show contempt? Think about this. Do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? You see, our prayer for a rebellious world is that they should come to repentance. Our prayer is not that they should be judged today and, and have all the penalty due them. It becomes easy to do that. It can be easy to say, enough, I don't look at how horrible they are. I wish they were just judged. Wasn't God going to judge them? But in doing so, we're undermining his patience and his compassion. The God who loves all of us and the only... Uh, Distinction is, are you willing to receive and, and, and to approach, or are you rejecting and resisting, right? And all humankind, those are the two distinctions. Will I receive, will I, will I accept, will I, will I follow, or will I reject, and, and will, I, will I follow myself? And I, as a follower of someone who is following him, I should have a heart and an empathy and a desire, a brokenness for those that would reject. 
not a condemnation, not an overarching judgment. I should not look at them and say how horrible they are, but how close they are to freedom. If only they could see. If only their ears were open. If only their minds could understand the goodness of God and the wickedness of their sin. See, the problem is those two elements have been reversed. We think sin is awesome and God is worthless. That's what our culture has done. And we need to reverse it and say, no, sin is horrible and God is amazing. Christ is good and all this stuff that we've been given that's good is a forgery. And it's bad and it's wicked and it's not because I'm saying so or because I'm so much better. It's because he has revealed it and we can receive it. You know, God takes the crime of self-righteousness personally. I can understand why Jesus is so upset with those Pharisees. I can understand why he gets so mad. Because they were the ones who were supposed to represent him. Those are supposed to be his representatives. Uh, when people in my position of pastor use their position to sin, or those that are in the church of high place, they use their position to sin, I think it is detestable and maybe worse than any other sin. Because we're supposed to represent the one who is true. And when we break that, when we don't live that out in front of others, we are reflecting a lie that penetrates into the minds to believe, oh, it is fake, it's a fraud, it's a lie. That can't be true. Look at the leaders. The leaders live a lie, so it must be a lie. The leaders are hypoc hip hypocritical, therefore it must not be a, a legitimate reality. I don't take it lightly to be here. Our, elders, our deacons don't take it lightly to be deacons of this church. The leaders do not take it lightly because we recognize, and my encouragement to any leader in any church is to recognize that people are judging what we say based on how we live. And they should. But in Jesus' time, the ones that were supposed to be the voice of God to the people, the ones that were supposed to connect God to his people, were misusing it for money and for power and for prestige. And they abused it. Do you know today when I walk around and people, don't, if they don't know I'm a pastor, they'll be like, you know, the church is all about money. All they care about is money. All they want is your money. They don't care about you. Why did they get that thought in their mind? Now, I know the enemy is part of it, but he's taken a little bit of truth and he's, he's made it big and well-known. And so the church, we have such an opportunity but such a responsibility that we deal with this issue of hypocrisy. We deal with our hearts. That when I declare that I am a believer in Christ, I, I let people know this began in my own heart with me seeing my lostness that I was a sinner in need of a savior, that on my own there was no good that was going to come for me. I couldn't offer myself salvation. I couldn't offer myself direction. I couldn't tell myself where I came from. I couldn't tell myself what my purpose in life was. I could reach at things, well, maybe I want to be a professional this, or maybe I want to make lots of money, or maybe I want to own a house here, or maybe I want to have this car. Yes, I can reach at a lot of different things, but it's just reaching. It's dust in the wind. It's just vapor. It's just nothing. And Christ comes along and he says, I'm going to give you your origin. I'm going to give you your purpose. I'm going to give you where you're going. But I need you to understand it's not focused on you. 
I can tell you, for me personally, the, the thing that brought me to Christ more than anything else was realizing how fake of a person I was. Coming to grips with my fakeness allowed me to receive Christ. I don't know if that's where you're at, but that's where I was at. And even today, daily, I have to confront that and say, are you being authentically a follower of Christ or are you being fake? Right? Because I only have so many minutes, so many hours, so many days, so many weeks, so many years. And they all add up. And they mean something. They mean something. And I don't want them to mean a hypocrite. I don't want them to mean um, someone who pulled away from God, who, who pointed in the wrong direction. And I don't think any of us want that. Because you can get to a place where you're so bogged down in this that you don't even recognize any of it anymore. You don't want to pray. You don't want to read God's word. You don't want to go to church. Nothing stirs within you about anything. All you see is the mess, and every thought in your mind is about that mess. You can get there. We all can get there. It says it here in verse 5. Uh, because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath, when his righteous judgment will be revealed. God will repay each person according to what they have done. I want you to look at a picture and think about it for a second. If we can go to the next slide. There's a lot of people in life. They got so much junk in their life. They've got so much junk, but they're a mule. And they're stubborn, stubborn, stubborn. I am not a hypocrite. I am perfect. My life is, I'm not a sinner. I'm not bad. Everything's good. Everything's fine. Everything's okay. I got nothing wrong with me. It's everybody else. It's not me. The problem is them, not me. The problem's out there. The problem's not in here. And you can keep doing that and doing that and just putting it back and just loading it up and loading it up, and pretty soon you're just going to be hanging there in the air, completely controlled by the burden you've allowed into your life. Completely dictated. Everything about your life is controlled by your anger, your hostility, your mess. And there's no freedom. There's no peace. There's no joy. But you're stubborn still. Your strength is in your stubbornness. And I've been there. I know, you know, I've, I've been, I know I'm wrong in a in an argument, and I keep being wrong because I'm not going to admit that I'm wrong. But at some point, if you want freedom, at some point, if you want grace, at some point, if you want healing, you got to let go of the stubbornness. You got to admit the stubbornness. You got to confess the stubbornness. And you know what happens? All that stuff falls away. I, I think for a lot of people, God waits till they get here before he starts his work. Because we really don't get it. <laughs> we have to know that there is no other way. There is no other name on this earth. There is no job. There is no relationship. There is no path that is greater than the name of Jesus Christ. But you have to live that every day, right? You get up and say, today's the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. I will follow him until he returns. 
So finally, God gives us really the full picture. Verse 7. Through Paul, remember Paul who was Saul, he saw this so clearly. He had such a strong understanding. He had such a radical transformation in his own life where he became a humble servant of the Lord. He says this, to those who persistent in, in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are seeking self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be troubles and distresses for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew, then the Gentile. But glory, honor, peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew, then the Gentile. For God does not show favoritism. Do you know the big problem with hypocrisy and the big problem Jesus had with the Pharisees? They thought they were better than everybody. They said, look at me, I'm better than you. I'm a better human being. I'm on a higher level. And God keeps saying, no, 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 no. I love you and I died for you just like I love them and died for them. Don't ever get that mixed up. Don't ever get that out of order. There is an equality in the race of humankind that we are made in the image of God and Christ died on a cross that whomever, meaning any person on the planet that would confess him as Lord and believe that he was raised from the dead can receive the gift of eternal life. And do you recognize eternal life starts today? It starts that moment. Your eternity has begun. You have been born spiritually. You are now alive eternally. You may die physically, but it's only once, and then you live your true life. That is what we gathered here to remind ourselves of. That is what we gathered here to challenge ourselves to share with others so that they won't just live this mediocre, mundane, short life and die twice. They'll die physically, and then they'll be dead spiritually, eternally, and they will never receive the life that God intends for them to have. That is what is at stake. That's what it means to renew our minds because we can start thinking economy, my, my retirement, uh, my health issues, and make those the forefront of our minds and think about those all the time. We've got to renew our minds and say, no, those are temporary. I'm an eternal being. I'm not a temporary being. Those things will come and go. I need to focus on the eternal. When I focus on the eternal, I begin to see, am I being hypocritical in any area of my life? Am I being overly judgmental? Or am I coming with grace and love, recognizing the holiness of God? That is the challenge that we have. This is what's at stake. This is where we are in this moment in our story. And so how can you apply this to your life? How can we take this wisdom from Romans chapter 2 and apply it to our life? First, I would say, let's acknowledge the truth. Let's acknowledge that everyone in us in this room struggles with something. Amen? We all struggle. It's okay. There's only one perfect, and his name is Jesus Christ. We all struggle. I struggle. You struggle. And I'm going to acknowledge it. But once I acknowledge it, I don't just stay there and live in that guilt. You know, God doesn't want you to live in the city of guilt. Some, of, some Christians, I think they were told as a kid, you need to live in the city of guilt so it'll force you to do the right thing because you don't want to feel guilty. No, you don't live in the city of guilt. You live in victory. And how do you get to victory? Well, once you've acknowledged it, then you confess it. Confession. Remember, in the courtroom of eternity, you are not the judge, you're not the jury, you're not the lawyer, you're the witness. Right? You're the witness. 
What have I witnessed? Well, I've witnessed in myself some things that need to change. I'm going to confess those things in front of you, judge. And I'm going to receive what only I can receive from the only one I can receive it from, the gift of grace and hope from Jesus. And so once I acknowledge the issue in my life, I confess that that is really an issue, I receive victory over it. I say, I can't win over this, but I know you can. I can't overcome this mess, but I know you can. And so I'm going to receive the victory. Now, the victory may take a little while. I don't know how you're going to do the victory, but I know you will do the victory. I trust in you with the faith of my heart and my mind. You're going to be victorious in me. Now, that victory might be on the other side of my life, which is fine, but I know the victory is coming. And then once I have received the victory, I'm going to commit to living in a new way. See, the problem is we get in this cycle where we just keep getting in the same mess over and over and over again, and we don't get out of that circle. And that's not how God wants us to live. If I struggle with hypocrisy, I need to admit it, confess it, receive victory over it, and then I need to commit. Hey, I'm going to tell the guys in my group I struggle with hypocrisy. Would you pray for me and hold me accountable? I'm going to make a plan in my life. I'm going to wake up in the morning and pray about not being a hypocrite today. Whatever mess is in my life, I'm going to start the day and say, God, help me not to fall into this trap again. Help me to live for you and, and not live for this. And I'm going to make a strong commitment to it. Because as committed I, as I was to the sin, now I want to be committed to the righteousness. And it is a commitment and it is a conscious decision that I'm going to be a child of the king. I'm going to make eternal things more important than temporary things. I'm going to make God's word more important than my word or man's word. I'm going to follow him in every area of my life. And I believe if you do this and you renew your mind every single day, it is a money-back guarantee. When you end this life, you will end with a smile. You see, that's the one thing the world can't offer in any of this is the solution to death. Right? Is there a politician that's given you the answer to death? Is there a commercial that says, buy this product and you don't have to worry about death anymore? Is there anything in this world that says, I've, it's dealt with death for us, so we don't have to worry? Take that load off your back because death has been dealt with. There is only one that I know of that says, I've dealt with death. I have the solution. I have the answer. I have what you can receive and you can live within. It was the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you confess it and believe it, you are set free. You are twice born. You've been born physically. We've all been, if you're in this room, you've been born physically. You can be in this room and not be born spiritually. And my prayer is that everyone in this room would be born spiritually. And so if we look at Romans chapter 10, this is what he says. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. One believes with their heart resulting in righteousness. One confesses with the mouth resulting in salvation. Have you experienced that in your life? See, when you're born physically, you know it's happened, right? Anyone wondering whether they were born physically in here? <laughs> you know it's happened. Let me tell you something. If you've been born spiritually, it's about the same knowledge. You can't deny it. You're not wondering whether you were born or not. You absolutely know you've been born spiritually. That's what my desire for you is today. Praise God. So, 
What is God saying to you? What is he declaring to your heart? How is he speaking to you today?